Hey, Quinn. Hey, Lindsay. How are you doing? I'm doing. I'm just plowing through October. That's awesome. Like well, a like a like a plow. Like a plow. Like it's harvest like a, season. Like a a farm. Right, some farm get, equipment. Get those beans. Get. Um, I'm just gonna let you know it is not bean season. You could say that you're harvesting corn at this point. That's fine. Hashtag farm life. Hashtag farm life. Uh, well, if we're if you're still here and listening to our show, this wow. is viral a public health podcast yes we are a show where we uh, talk about the history of plagues disease outbreaks and all of the people who work behind the scenes to keep us safe and healthy and um today we are going to spend some time talking about the role of civic engagement such as voting and volunteering in public health and how it can affect the health of populations. Um, There's a lot of information out there about this, but it's kind of hard to define. So uh, I thought we could just kind of define our terms and then we can talk about it. What do you think? I like that. And I will, I'm just going to put, you know, full disclosure out there. I'm a member of the League of Women Voters. And so I have a a passion, if you will, for um, civic engagement and and just and just voting, voting, you know. Um, but civic engagement is more than just voting. Lindsay. You're absolutely right, Quinn. You are absolutely right. So um, I would love to hear what your definition of civic engagement is. Well, why do you care about my definition? I can tell you the definition that. The public health institute at the university of washington and st louis has which is please uh the term civic engagement describes diverse activities generally those that build on the collective resources skills experience and knowledge of citizens to improve the quality of life in communities civic engagement consists of attitudes that develop and behaviors that take place within communities It does have a political dimension like voting, protesting, boycotting, writing letters to elected officials, and a non-political dimension like volunteering, working on a community-based project, working with neighbors to fix a problem, whether it's potholes or something else. Coyotes. That is a problem here in Pinellas County. Yeah. Actually, it's a problem. Peter Rabbit, getting into your garden all the time. Yeah, that's a... Oh man, Peter Rabbit. Or the those those dang kids and their fast cars. Yeah. Um, you know, screaming from your porch, get off my lawn could maybe potentially be a civic engagement uh activity. Can I give you a definition that I like to use? Mm-hmm. It's from the American Psychological Association. Oh, give it to me. <laughs> give it to me, give it no, I'm just kidding. Um, so Service learning and civic engagement are not the same thing in the sense that not all service learning has a civic dimension and not all civic engagement is service learning. For definition's sake, civic engagement is the broader motif encompassing service learning but not limited to it. One useful definition of of civic engagement is the following. Individual and collective actions designed to identify and address issues of public concern. Civic engagement can take many forms, from individual volunteerism to organizational involvement and to electoral participation. It can also include 
efforts to directly address an issue, work with others in a community to solve a problem, or interact with the institutions of representative democracy. Civic engagement encompasses a range of specific activities such as working in a soup kitchen, serving on a neighborhood association, writing a letter to an elected official, or voting. Indeed, an underlying principle of our approach is that an engaged citizen should have the ability, agency, and opportunity to move comfortably among these various types of civic acts. Mm. Now, I, I see um, the, def- the terms civic engagement and community engagement used a lot interchangeably, but feel like, I don't know, is there a difference there and why would we use one over the other? That's a really good question and I I, um, I think it all has to do with intention. So, you know, community engagement can really be, oh my God, I feel like anything, anything that has to do with the community, but civic engagement can be individual. What is a civic <laughs> besides is, a Honda? I was just going to say. Besides a really great Besides a car. type of a midsize, small, small midsize sedan. Really nice cars. Um, so I feel like when we think about civic, right, it has to kind of do with being a citizen. So being a citizen of a democracy. So, so yeah. that kind of also, you know, so, so obviously that ties into the whole voting and, and democratic participation. But we know that civic engagement isn't limited to those things but it definitely encompasses how can we make our democracy and community better individually or collectively. So I feel like civic, it sounds like civic engagement works really well with public health, right? I mean, what do you think? Well, the way I've always kind of thought about the idea of civic engagement is like whatever you, whatever your relationship is to the, formal structures of government, whether it's local, state, county, or federal, and um, whether or not you participate in those type of processes, whether Mm -hmm. it's voting, attending public comment meetings for programs or policies. Doing doing C-click fix. Doing C-click fix. But that, um, that's kind of a limiting definition, Mm -hmm. I think, because you can be involved in other um, areas that can give you the same type of feeling of like you're feeling accomplished and that you're mm-hmm. involved in the community. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people may feel kind of hesitant to get involved in civic processes because it's kind of dry a lot of times, the way or, it sounds. Or, and or like it seems kind of hard overtly to access. political, right? There's yeah. that fear of like, well, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, participate in a in a political campaign. Well, that doesn't have to be how you civically engage. Well, and sometimes those things are inaccessible in that mm-hmm. they're during the workday or they're in the evening where you just got off of work and it's you don't necessarily want to go out to a community meeting because you have kids to take care of and you have totally. other things, other responsibilities. But um, I think it's also important when we think of community engagement to define what we mean by community because um, communities are fluid spaces as defined by the University of South Carolina, fluid spaces in which individuals operate and function. So it doesn't just mean a geographic identity, 
although sometimes people identify with their geographic mm-hmm. community, um, their neighborhood or their That's city or their block. Um, but there's the LGBTQ community. There's there's community mothers against uh, drunk driving. That's kind of a community of people who have a shared interest. There's um, you know you mentioned the League of Women Voters, and there's other types of community. There are virtual communities that exist where there's people around the world who share the same interest, and that those people can have kind of a collective impact towards towards an issue, whether it's fundraising or painting a school or whatever. And so we can't limit ourselves to just the formal governmental totally. structures um, <clears throat> as a type of civic engagement. Although I, totally. I feel like we can kind of use the terms sometimes interchangeably, but if it is a broader initiative that it goes beyond just governmental structures, we can call mm-hmm. it community. And I'm more interested less in the semantics and more in the getting people out to do stuff to make the world a better place. I don't know about I, you. I 100% agree. And I think that as we start realizing the power of, you know, of, of the power. <laughs> nice. That was beautiful. Thank nice you. little falsetto. Um, I think as we recognize the need for policy change for, you know, whether it's directly health related or not directly health related, you know, we think about overall population health, you know, I think civic engagement is a key piece of that, you know, empowering communities to be participants in their local, state, federal government, whether that and that and that can be there's a lot of different ways you can do that. But trying to influence policy for the better, um, I do have some stats related to communities that are civically engaged or are civic participants and how that impacts health. Stat me, baby. Stats. So I would just like to point out that the World Health Organization um, has used civic engagement as a core principle in its Healthy Cities initiatives. Um, and it's also recognized here in the United States as well. Um, so um, civic engagement is actually a really good indicator for the health of a, of a community. And I think that's pretty logical because, you know, a healthy community is more likely to be civically and politically engaged in all levels of government. Um, you know, those we've we've seen studies where those who, uh, you know, have poor health outcomes they're, you know, more likely to experience um, less social connectedness, and that has an impact on how they vote. They're less likely to vote if they feel like they're not connected to their wider community, which makes sense. You know, there's if you don't feel like your vote counts or that, you know, that it matters if you vote, then you're not going to get out and vote, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, you know, we talk about health disparities, um, you know, Specific community groups that experience health disparities are actually less likely to participate in elections and vote, Mm. which we know if you're not, if you don't participate and if you don't vote, you know, then that means that you have less opportunity to have an elected, a truly representative government, right? Mm -hmm. People that make decisions on your behalf, because that's the way our democracy works. You mean how... A small percentage of the United States population uh, consists of old white millionaires, but a large percentage of the congressional makeup consists of old white millionaires. 
Yeah, just like that. Just like that, Quinn. It was just a hypothetical example. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, so, you know, and obviously there's a lot of barriers to civic participation, right? We talk a lot about voter suppression, gerrymandering um, here in the state of Florida. Where- Damn it, Jerry. Gosh darn it, Jerry Gergich mandering. Just kidding. It's not Jerry Gergich mandering. It's just Jerry mandering. Gary Gergich. Gary. Jerry. Whatever his name is. You know, the guy who fell into a creek because he wanted to get his burrito or whatever. Had a fart attack. Oh my God. God, such a good show. But yeah, we still see, you know, efforts to suppress votes, whether that's through uh, limiting early voting times, closing polling stations. Here in the state of Florida, we're actually, we actually have an amendment on the ballot, Amendment 4, that has to do with voter rights restoration for nonviolent felons. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really important. That's like, I think the estimate was 1.6 million voters in Florida do not have the right to vote because they are They've, even though they've served their sentence, um, they still don't have the right to vote. So voting is, you know, I mean, that's like that's like the one time where you get to actively participate in government, you know, unless it's your job. Mm-hmm. I wish we had the day off. That'd you be know? pretty cool. It'd be great to have, like, you know, it'd be like a second Fourth of July. We should have fireworks. Um, hmm. I'm gonna write you in back. I'm gonna pull you back from. I'm sorry. From I get really, there. I get really excited about voting. I know you, you do. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of different ways to think about community engagement from your role as a community member and also your role as a member of an organization. Where if you work in a social service setting or a government setting, you represent your organization. But if you don't. Um, you can still represent yourself as an individual, exactly. and some people can operate from both spaces. Um, but you have to, if you're operating from the community um, organization perspective, you have to be prepared to relinquish some of your control of your project to the community and understand that you're not going to be successful if you try and do things to the community, but you have to do things with the community and be ready to change your plans, modify your intervention, and sometimes abandon your plans altogether because they're not something that aligns with the community's needs. Um, and as a individual, you have to accept that the, the collective self-determination is the responsibility and a right of all community members and that you have a responsibility to your other citizens to represent yourself and represent them. Um, And I feel like each group has their own responsibilities um, and reasons for being there, but that everyone, the more diverse and representative the population of the community is, with regards to public health interventions and civic processes in general, mm-hmm. the better outcomes that we can expect. And there's actually some data that um, that supports this. There's some solid evidence that community engagement interventions uh, or interventions that specifically target 
community engagement have a positive impact on a range of health and psychosocial outcomes across um, um, different conditions. But there isn't sufficient evidence at this time to determine whether one particular model of community engagement is more likely to be effective over another. And this was from um, an article, a scientific um, peer-reviewed article in BMC Public Health from 2015. So there's there is some actual evidence uh, about how civic engagement can be itself a public health intervention. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so interestingly enough, well, I, I mean, we we talked a little bit about you know those who experience health disparities. Um, so um, though voter participation has been positively linked to income, employment, and educational educational level, um, and those are all you know determine, determinants that indicate socioeconomic power. Um, communities that lack socioeconomic power are less likely to engage in the political process and therefore are less likely to be represented in policymaking. So folks who have um, health literacy or just mm-hmm. general literacy, um, challenges or people who perhaps are marginalized, um, those who either came to the country illegally or um, mm-hmm. have issues with their immigration status and are afraid to come forward and be mm-hmm. a part of their process because they will be put in jail, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, there are members who, uh, for whatever reason, feel ostracized and not welcome in, in their community. And you know, it's, it's tragic because then we lose their voice. Absolutely. And people and special interests pay a lot of money to try and, uh, you know, take that voice and, and try to use the power that a person has um, when they use their voice in democratic participation. So it's it's really important. And can we just for one second talk about the census? Okay. I'll uh, get up. Got it. Get your soapbox out. And oh, oh, thank you. Thank there. you so much. Okay. Oh, gosh, I really appreciate it. Um, Quiet down, everyone. <laughs> so, Quinn, like, why is the census important? Tell me. I don't know. It's like a thing that happens, like, happens every, every 10 years. 10 years and... So, I think we all, especially as public health practitioners, we've used, the, we've used census data at some point, right? You know, like, whether it's writing a lit review for like a graduate or undergraduate paper or you know looking at different stats in your community if you work at the health department if you were even if you work in the nonprofit or private sector mm-hmm. you've probably used census data so having accurate census data is super important and i know you're like lindsay why are you talking about the census when we're talking about civic engagement Well, first of all, you can volunteer and actually get paid to be a census worker. So going out and getting people to, you know, you go door to door to um, make sure that everybody is counted for the census. Mm -hmm. That's something that happens. But I want to point out that the the census is coming up in 2020. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it happens every 10 years. And this time around, it had it is historically underfunded, mm. which is problematic because not only do really nerdy and just like very passionate public health professionals like us use census data all the time, but it's used for a lot of other stuff that I think a lot of people don't realize. For instance, census data is used to 
allocate resources to different communities, you know, based on, you know, based on who responds to the census. And more importantly, the census is used to determine our representatives mm-hmm. at the federal level. Yeah. So if people are afraid to fill out their census data, which we know that there's been news reports of this whole issue with the citizenship question as a way to maybe potentially, uh, you know, scare people into not participating in the census, you know, this could really impact civic engagement because it impacts how we're represented in government. Yeah. So, Lindsay, do you know the difference between the census and the American Community Survey? Um, I, I feel like the American Community Survey happens more often than the census. It does. Um, the census is defined as an official count or survey of a population, um, and it is, like we said, every 10 years, a word that I didn't know before, which is decennial. Huh. It is a decennial census. That's what you know. Yeah, so the decennial census is to provide counts of people for the purpose of congressional apportionment. It's basically to say how many people are there and mm-hmm. where are they so oh. that we can chop up states and mm-hmm. counties into districts and mm-hmm. and and do that. Um, whereas the American Community Survey is to measure the changing social and economic characteristics of the U.S. population. And the ACS does not provide counts of the population in between censuses, but rather um, does things like ask about employment, uh, income, and housing status, and um, more detailed uh, demographic questions. It provides kind of a moving image, a video, a month-by-month snapshot of kind of what we need to know to allocate billions of dollars worth of programs and services to people. Um, I've definitely used ACS data. Oh, me too. And sometimes I call it census without realizing, you know, Ah. before, you know, when you're talking about your, because up at the top of the screen, it says U.S. census, and then it says American Community Survey. So it's Mm. like, well, it's the census. It's the same thing. But they're actually different. Um, That's a good kind of related um, because it provides information in between the censuses, mm-hmm. but they reflect much more detailed information and aren't just to count people. It's to get a little bit more context. Okay. okay. And yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. We know more about jobs, occupations, educational attainment, veterans, whether people own or rent homes, and I mean, literally dozens of other topics. And they're super interesting because a lot of those things can indicate the health outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, everything from the language spoken at home, marital status, school enrollment, uh, how many vehicles are in the home. There's so many different types of information, poverty status, uh, what government programs people are on, like food stamps or SNAP, health insurance coverage. We know that the percentage of people covered by health insurance has a direct relationship to um, access to care, occupations, values of homes. There's so many detailed pieces of information on the American Community Survey that we don't get during 
just the census, which is to count people. No, you're at, you are um, absolutely right. And they also display like the one year and three year and five year estimates where they kind of aggregate data to show mm-hmm. what trends are going on over the past one year or three years or five years. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these data are used for um, for program justification, for new grants, for new things that come out every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And you'll notice that I said these data. Wow. Because data is a plural. You know what? I didn't realize like that I apples. was going to get like a civic education episode as well as a grammar education. So when you say this data, you're basically saying this apples. And you wouldn't say this apples. That doesn't make sense. I'm sorry. Just no, I to get off of my so high these, horse. These data. These data. And if you're, if you've got some sort of like, you could really, say this piece of information because the word datum is kind of datum. That is the singular datum. 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 I love it. Wow. But yeah, you can say this that. piece of information. You could say, yes, some other variation of that. Um, but yeah, it's these data. These data. These data. These data. I like it. Um, do you do you have so Quinn, tell me tell me a little bit about your what do you like to do for, to be civically engaged? Um I like to come home, put on my most comfortable <laughs> pair of pajama pants. Yeah. Uh, no. I In college, I volunteered for Habitat for Humanity, which is a great uh, organization that uh-huh. helps build homes uh-huh. for people. And it's not just – it's not about giving people homes. They right. put – they actually, I mean, a lot of times the people who are getting the homes help build the homes. Right. And yeah. In, in many instances, they help pay for the construction by the idea is they help pay for the materials, but that the labor is free and that the labor is volunteer, which mm-hmm. severely helps them afford and be able to keep this home. Um, but it's not just about like giving people handouts. It's really a right. hand up. Yeah. And people who are a part of this program are very um, thankful and like usually end up helping other people build homes. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've participated in that. Um, I vote. I vote every year, or, well, every election cycle through um, ever since I turned 18. Um, I, I have volunteered for other organizations kind of in a one-off fashion, but not mm-hmm. uh, so much continuously i've been more just ever since i started working in public health just putting all of my efforts into my work to involve the community in my work and less kind of as a community member but i probably should be more engaged as a community member than um i currently am you know what to be fair i feel like we all i mean that's something that we all aspire to right it's definitely not like I mean, there's definitely a threshold, right? Like, you don't want to burn yourself out, but, you know, I, you vote. You're doing, like, 
You know, just by voting, you are impacting your community. You know, and I know that you are a very informed voter. You take your time to figure out what the issues are, especially when we have basically a hundred amendments. Oh my God, it's ridiculous for. in the state of Florida. Like, it's ridiculous. Well, and what do you say to people who say, well, I'm a Democratic voter in the state of Alabama and my vote's not going to matter? Or what do you say to people who are even uh, a Republican voter in the state of California or the people who, because of the electoral college system, when you think about national level politics, is set up in such a way that your your individual vote almost feels like it's being thrown away. What do you say to people who would say that? Two things I would say, and this is me getting my like my League of Women Voters hat on, one is that when you don't vote, you give that power, the vote, the power that your vote has to somebody else. And so that's why it's really important to get everybody to vote, because I know that, of course, there are there are districts, there are states where you feel like, you know, you're in the minority when it comes to political party affiliation or to ideology. But when you don't vote, you're just reinforcing that in a way that actually is even you're you're actually doubling somebody else's vote by not voting. That's true. It is. I thought about that. And um, second of all, listen, I know that the Electoral College gets us all down. It's just a depressing thing that we have had to deal with for the last well, for a long time. And that's Lindsay's way of saying, I don't know the exact date the Electoral College was formed. I feel like, I mean, it's been around since the I don't know. I don't know. I I don't want to, you know, yeah, exactly. It's been around for a really long time. But I will say that there is this thing called the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact. Do you know what that is? I don't. This is a compact between multiple states. And actually, we are trying this uh, state legislative session in the state of Florida to be a part of this compact. And what it is is basically that states who have entered into this compact have said, listen, we want our electoral college to reflect the popular vote versus a winner-take-all model, which is how many states do the electoral right, college. Right, win the 27 electoral votes that right even though that's not technically representative of the popular vote so this i I can't remember they've got like 29 states i think in the in the national so it would be like if if texas had 50 electoral college votes and the state was split 50 50 it would be like 25 25 exactly versus all of them going to one where it's like someone got 50 Point one percent of the vote. Exactly, they get all of the electoral right. college votes. Exactly, and you know that's why you hear a lot of times this whole thing about you know, um, oh well, you know Hillary Clinton won the popular vote, but she wasn't elected. Well, that's because of the electoral college. Mm-hmm. I mean, we won't get, even get into like Russian interference on that, but you know, yes, the electoral college is something that you know needs to be considered when we think about. Um, 
making sure that that voices are give, given equal representation when it comes to voting. And so that is something that we're working on. I know the league is very invested in that. Um, locally, we have um, a lady who works both um, in St. Pete as well as um, at the state level, and she's working very hard to get some co-sponsors on bills to sign this compact. So um, we'll see what happens. November 6th is going to be a very interesting day, not just for Florida, but for many, I mean, many states who have elections coming up. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a very interesting midterm. It is. Um, So, yeah, but that would be what I would say is that don't get down, you know, get, I would say don't get down, get involved, you know. Well, there's also getting involved because of local issues. Yes. You have local school boards. There are local county commissions. There are local um, city councils. And many of and those offices are unopposed. A lot of them in many can be. communities. So it's it's it is possible for you to have a voice in your local um, setting, mm-hmm. even if you feel disenfranchised at the larger um, sphere. It's still important. It's still important because they, your local representatives are your most accessible, right? You know, those are the people you're going to see in the community. Those are the people that you can make an appointment with. Well, apparently I heard this morning that uh, for the first time in an election, millennials, which are considered like people born between um, like 1980. Five or 1981 through 1995, something like that in that 10, 15 year range, mm-hmm. um, will be the largest voting block of the electorate. Wow. So you're going to see a lot of people writing in Salt Bay. You're going to have a lot of people oh, God. voting for pumpkin spice lattes. You're going to have no. not that I don't um, support pumpkin spice lattes, but not in as a as a Democratic right or any sort of write in. You're going to see Dat Boy. Dad, oh god oh god <laughs> it's just gonna be memes out there oh, everyone Lord. if only if I only vote... that was the way we could vote is via meme <laughs> meme oh man what if you you got the candidate's name you got their um instead of a, a parentheses with r or d or i you you had their favorite meme oh my and it would be an indication of what their values are, what their sense of humor is. Yeah, I think it if speaks a see lot. Pepe the Frog. You you know, ooh, this person might not. I don't know about this. I don't. I'm not entirely sure but they then know if what you public see health is. Socially awkward penguin, socially awesome penguin. Then you're like, this person is down to earth. If you They're see one any, of us. if you see any Leslie Nope memes, Leslie Nope memes. They have a line not only with me um, ideologically, but with my soul. With your exactly. If if you've got um, is is this a bird? Yeah. Yes. You've got yes. Uh, I mean, so many different opportunities here for 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 candidates. Get in, get involved, millennials. Get this involved. Your, make we it should... weird. Yeah, and you know what? That is giving me so much inspiration. Salt Bay 2020. Oh, God. No. I mean, in my head, I'm like, this would be such a great social media campaign to do, like, ballot ballot issues that are represented by meme. 
Like, if you vote yes, you have uh, the guy that, you know, is, like, tapping his head, like, yeah, you know, smart. And and give out free CBD-infused kombucha at the oh, ballot box. You get the You get all kinds of good good perks. Speaking of I am well, very sticker. Of. I do I do uh respond to sticker based um incentives. Oh my god, though. right? That that still gets me as an adult man. Oh, I, I, I love like any I vote by mail now and I will drop off my ballot too. in person and I will go to the place and go I I did vote by mail but I would like a sticker. Give me actually. that sticker, please. I drove here burning fossil fuels in my car so I can get <laughs> this stupid little I voted sticker that I'm going to wear for one day and then probably lose. Yeah, I mean, it's going it, to... Gonna... Or it gets into the wash and then that's a situation. Yeah, but, but you know what? You voted and you got a sticker. But I did get that sticker, though. You got that sticker, though. I love the League of Women Voters. I'm not saying that you need to join, but consider it. They're a really great group of people it, and it's men men can join men can I'm, men have I'm been a member of a family yes. member Quinn is a Quinn is a League of Women Women Voters member um we do a lot of great stuff and you know one of the things i'm most proud of is um how the fact that we're nonpartisan i think is really great we take our time we take any time we take a stance on something we don't endorse candidates but we do take stances on issues and it takes two years for us to come to a determination we do a, an entire study on an issue before we take a stance on it oh interesting yes and it's very much grassroots we do canvassing we're all about voter registration voter education I'm not kidding you when I tell you that today I spent an hour on the phone with a lady uh, educating her about the amendments. We have 12 amendments. That's a lot of amendments. On all. our Florida ballot this year. And it's too many. It's way too many. I felt so bad for her because she she was trying to like babysit her grandson, but she wanted to know and ask questions about the amendment. So I sat with her on the phone today and I educated her about the amendments. And at the end of the conversation, she said, do you have a degree in political science? And I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> I absolutely do not. I had a PowerPoint in front of me this entire time with notes. And she's like, I would really like it if you came and spoke to our Republican club in Largo. And oh, I was like, absolutely. And then, of course, she asked me am my political affiliation, which I was just like, none of your beeswax, which really Listen, amounted to me saying Ethel. NPA because it's none of your beeswax. And I'm a league member, so and I... BW. We are, <laughs> and BW. That's what it should say. That's what I should have said. She would have been like, oh, okay, it must be a new party. Um, <laughs> but again, I think that speaks to you know, our our commitment to being nonpartisan. So that's what's making me happy. I'm really happy about all the stuff that we do, and I'm really proud to be a member. Um, it makes me feel like I'm like a St. Pete Leslie Nope. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Thanks. What about you, Quinn? Hockey season is back. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Go lightning. I, uh, that's, that's it. Did you hear the thunder? I like those ice boys. Ooh, and those Tesla coils. Yep. Yeah, lightning season's pretty sweet. I know you're probably thinking, wait, aren't you guys in Florida? Yes, we do live in Florida, but guess what? We still love hockey. I'm originally from Michigan, so it's like, of course we like hockey. 
But it's just an excuse for us to get somewhere inside that's cool. Right? And see a lot of really nice Canadians. Be very rough with each other. Right? Those rough, rowdy boys. While eating poutine. <laughs> there is a poutine place in the stadium. There is. It's so greasy. It's, it's good, though. It's really good. It is good. It's good, that gravy. Uh, so I think that that's, is that it? Yeah. That's it. Why don't we want to tell people where to find us? Well, if you would like to find us, you can find us online at www.viral-pod.com or you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And we are really trying to expand our reach in any sort of podcatcher you can find. So now we're on Spotify, Mm -hmm. we're on Stitcher, we're on iTunes, we're on Google Play, we're on... um, What's another one? Stitcher? I, are we on Stitcher? We are on Stitcher. Shockingly, we're on Stitcher. Cool. Right? So we're trying to get we're trying to get you. We're trying to get you. We got, we know you got you we know you got favorites for podcasting. Can I drop our uh, piece of of uh, news? Please do. Uh, all right, y'all. So viral is going to Salt Lake City. Bow, bow, bow. <laughs> We will be attending the Society for Public Health Education, or SOFI, conference in March. And we are actually going to be there talking about uh, the podcast, talking about um, new ways of communicating public health and science to a variety of audiences, such as yourselves. Um, If you have any questions that we could um, answer or um any any historical topics just for for the the show that you're interested in that you want us to talk about feel free to write us and let us know but yeah we're going to be there um so you can meet us and see us talk about podcasting breaking the fourth wall pretty much we are definitely breaking the fourth wall our little show that we do um in addition to our full-time jobs. <laughs> we sure do. Our we families sure do. and stuff. Yeah. So we will also, we did get clearance. We are we are going to also be recording our session at Sophie. Um, so that should be really fun. It's a roundtable discussion. So we're going to be running around doing 10 to 15 minute um, presentations on our topic about the podcast to different uh, audiences and answering questions. So we will post that as an episode so you have access to it. Um, But we're really excited. We think that this is uh, a really great way to not only talk about something that Quinn and I are both really passionate about, but also, you know, reach other audiences and and share the joy. Yeah. Um, Our intro and outro music is Take Your Medicine by The Quick and Easy Boys. And uh, you can reach us at the sites and social media places that Lindsay mentioned. Uh, Do you have anything else you'd like to remind our listeners? It's flu season. Get your shot and wash your hands. Get your shot and wash those hands. I am Quinn Lundquist. And I'm Lindsay Grove. Thanks for joining us on Viral. Viral.